Good evening, Richard Listens listeners. I'm Dr. Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist, bringing you another exciting guest today, Eric Winters, and a conversation on leadership with a leadership coach himself. He is an author of the book, Swipe Right on Your Best Self, and he's a black belt hand washer, an author with a deep knowledge in the science of building courageous and emotionally intelligent mindsets. His know-how is a result of 20 years of international corporate life, two master's degrees in human behavior change, and over 12 years helping leaders and their teams become their best selves to meet workplace challenges effectively. He spends much of the time developing authentically courageous leadership through keynotes, workshops, and individual coaching. He is the author of Swipe Right on Your Best Self, Simple Steps to a Bolder Life with Fewer Regrets. Without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Eric Winters. How are you doing today? Richard, I'm doing very well. I'm calling from the future, Richard, because I think my time zone, I'm in Friday. Are you still in Thursday? I'm still on Thursday. What's it like on Friday? Oh, yeah. Get a move on, would you? It's sunny. It's clear. But of course, I'm in the southern half of the planet. I'm calling from Sydney, Australia. We're in our winter. So it's actually a little cold outside. Is that right? It gets cold. Yeah. We, well, you know, it's a big place. If you have a look, it's about the same width as the US. And the northern part actually is in the tropics, full on tropics, monsoons, all of that. That's where the crocs are, Richard, the five, six meter seawater crocodiles. That's where they live. Wow. But then in the south, it's frigid in Tasmania. Yeah, very, very cold. We've got the full spectrum here. Wow. Well, you'll appreciate this story, or maybe you won't. I went to a men's retreat this weekend, and one of my dear colleagues who was with me, he's an Australian, and we went after on the way down victorious from our tremendous hike and all the hard work and getting dirty. We said we were going to stop at a roadside place up by Santa Inez, California, by Santa Barbara. It's this you ever hear it's a restaurant where like all the bikers line up their bikes outdoors bluegrass and it's built right into the mountain you wouldn't even know that there was anything in this location Fabulous. and we got there and we realized we were the ones who were ill-informed that you need a reservation because otherwise like a line of people who've shown up just to be at this restaurant so we changed plans like the strategic men that we were and we you know detoured to a road a restaurant down the road 10 miles and we realized we couldn't reach our australian friend so the guy next to me said we couldn't reach him we couldn't text him no service he said please call the restaurant see if you can reach him. so i called the young woman at the restaurant she picked up i I said, I know there's a line out there. I know you're crowded. Is there any chance my friend Andrew may have checked it? She said, well, we are quite busy. I said, well, he's Australian and sounds a little bit like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> and she said, actually, he was here a few minutes ago. <laughs> so it came in handy and we were able to reach him on WhatsApp. It's the magic. We live in miraculous times, Richard. We take it for granted, but we do. We can reach anyone. I don't know how anybody ever met up with anyone before we had mobile phones. I was around then. Think about that. We've been watching. Lately, we got in this phase of watching with the kids old movies. Yeah. And you're like, what are they doing? There's just so much stillness. There's a slow pace to those old films. How to eat up. Exactly. And yet somehow it worked. We did. We used to find each other. It was possible. Yeah, we worked it out. Heaven knows how. 
<laughs> the home phone. I got a text from a friend of mine. He's like, was this your home phone number? We had him memorized. And so we could reach that bat phone from anywhere. That's right. I'm sure we'll get on to the real topic of our conversation at some point. When we had the home phones, yes, we used to have those voice recorders, of course. And it was very exciting coming back and seeing the red flashing light. Someone's called. It's a bit like you've got mail, but the little red light was like, who could it be? But of course, there was a time prior when we didn't even have those answering machines at home. There was no, if you weren't in, there was no message. You just missed the call. And you try and create some sort of visualization that the person was going to be running in the door. So you could let yeah. it ring like 20 times. <laughs> you had to, just in case. They were in the garden putting up that the washing. Home phones and yeah, concepts that are lost on my children. You are a leadership coach. Does that mean you're a black belt hand washer? Does that mean... You have a dishwasher or you choose to handle your oh, dishes on your own? Richard, I said I'm a black belt hand washer. I'm washing my hands of the COVID virus. That's what that <laughs> reference is about. Look, we've all become quite expert, haven't we, over the last two years in hygiene. None of us ever wanted to know so much about personal hygiene, but here we are. Circumstances compel us to take care and I'm still doing the hand washing thing. We've got a bit of an outbreak at the moment. It may be on the news. It's a bit of an outbreak everywhere, isn't there? But we've just got this Delta thing rushing through the community and the numbers are climbing very very wow. steeply yeah so we're all in lockdown i can't go more than five kilometers away from my front door no one can meet anyone and i live alone i haven't seen anyone for 10 weeks if i hadn't had any other podcast interviews i'd be saying richard you're the only person i've seen for 10 weeks wow i'm flattered Apart from that leadership development you mentioned, I do it online now, of course. So I give keynotes about managing your mind to meet life's challenges. I run workshops about building emotional intelligence and resilience. And that is all done online. And I had never thought that this online medium would be as effective as it actually is. My goodness, but it works really well. Well, what is the effectiveness based on? Is it based on your participants being ready to learn? Is it based on their presence? Are they feeling the same thing that you are being isolated, that they are looking forward to seeing the trainer? Well, of course, everyone looks forward to seeing me, Richard. You don't need to ask that question. <laughs> Ludicrous. No, it comes from their feedback. You know, at the end of the workshop, they write up the feedback. Whether a workshop is successful doesn't really have anything to do with how I feel, but it's the feedback from people. I actually got an email this morning. This is no kidding. I got an email this morning saying, the workshop I had, it was the best one I've had in my life. So it is possible over Zoom to still connect. And that's an important part of workshop is to have that connection, to develop rapport with a group and to manage the enthusiasm. I think one of the things that works really well is just that, and this is what my audience tell me, is that they like being able to see each other. They like that. You know, normally if you're in a room, you're all kind of pointing towards the speaker and you don't get to see each other. But actually, you know what we value? We can see each other and it's nice we can see each other's faces so that works quite well on zoom yeah the breakout room features the fact that you could create small groups applied discussions that's right we have a lot of fun there's a lot of things you can do with add-ons to zoom to make this interactive training quite fun and funky i'm glad you say that the best training i saw was a guy presenting at the emdr conference on trauma and he was presenting and he had a quiz and while he did it he played a song like all of a sudden it would put up like the coffee and it would have a music and he'd go through the quiz with you it was hilarious it brought joy into the interaction which why wouldn't you that's right no i'm all about using the technology to make it fun to make it engaging the trauma therapist in me 
right? What's making people say online therapy doesn't work as much or because their body is going into sleep. They're not being engaged. So without movement, without some oh. sort of play, right? Even the banter can be play without something that oh. enlivens you. Yes. And you're not being stimulated and you're not going to connect. That's right. This is why they're called participants. You know, they workshop participants, not workshop spectators. <laughs> so I make a point of, yeah, engaging, talking, people participate. But this is a really important point you're drawing attention to. We do not want to be sitting for hour after hour after hour in front of the screen, which is why I always have at least a 10 minute break in the middle of a workshop that might be two and a half hours long. We take 10 minutes out, stand up, rehydrate, recaffeinate. Yeah. And what do you think that shows? I know when I'm participating in a training and the sense of time or breaks is not regarded, I'm checking out. Yeah, of course you are. Now, I give people hope right from the start. I give them hope. So I say, we will, good news, we will be taking a 10-minute break. It can be painful. And I am astonished, you know, dare I say this? No, I'm not astonished. I'm appalled that after two years, by now, other trainers and facilitators ought to know by now how to work effectively online. But so many don't. They're dull. They're monotonous. The slides are just bullet point after bullet point or dense paragraphs of text. Why would you punish an audience like that? You can't do it. Where did you learn the confidence? I've invested unreasonable amounts, Richard, on uh, training myself to be a, a public speaker. So I've done a number of retreats with some an expert public speaker and gone away with a small group of other like-minded people. And we have trained together. How do you feel about Toastmasters? I'd have to say, at least in this country, in Australia, Toastmasters is largely used by people who've arrived in the country with English as a second language, and they use it as a vehicle to develop very basic competency. So I did spend a year with Toastmasters and, you know, it, it developed my capability a little bit, but it wasn't especially useful. I had a 20-year career with IBM talking to audiences about technology, new products. So I was around when the first IBM PC came out, all right? This was the personal computer. It was a big deal back then, right at the start of the 80s. And there it was, this PC. So I was talking to many, many audiences, initially small groups, but gradually bigger and bigger groups. And that's how we develop our competence and confidence, isn't it? By practicing, by getting it wrong, by getting feedback and listening to the feedback. That's quite, quite important. It's not enough just to get the feedback. It doesn't so work. Two separate modules. They are two separate modules. I would get the feedback. There is a craft to effective communication. And so I have enjoyed quietly developing that craft over the years, first with technical workshops, technical trainings, announcements for new products. So I was doing it all the time. And now I've shifted. The technology I talk about now is emotional intelligence, mind skills, self-management and self-leadership. These are just all sets of skills. My listeners always want to know about the man behind the knowledge and the journey. What led you to make that shift from technology-driven knowledge and expertise to getting curious about the way organizations work and people work? It was pre-GFC, just pre-global financial crisis. And I was on a long drive from one city, Sydney, to Canberra. I have to tell you, it's a very boring drive, Richard. It's straight, it's long, there's nothing to look at, nothing. And I'd normally fly this route. On this occasion, I thought, oh, for the hell of it, I'll, I'll drive for a change. But you enter a kind of a zone 
when you're on a, a long drive like that. And I was just reflecting, I'd been working for 20 years in Germany, the Middle East, Scotland and Australia with technology. And I thought, I'm having fun, but do I want to keep doing this for the rest of my life? If I get to the end of my career and I look back and say, oh, I'm so glad, well, would I say, oh, I'm so glad I worked in the same domain for my entire life. I thought, God, no, I need to do something different. I took a year out quite shortly afterwards. That's when the global financial crisis hit while I was on my year out. So I actually left my profession, my computing and consulting job with a, a lot of cash tied up in shares. And then the GFC hit. It wasn't a global crisis from my perspective. It was a very, very local. But there was something weird about it because as a lot of people did, as a lot of people did, lost a lot of my resources and life savings. But the interesting experience in that was that I was still exactly the same person afterwards. And I was kind of slightly surprised. I thought that the experience Experience would diminish me personally by losing that. And I just felt quietly reassured that, oh, hang on, I'm unharmed. I've just experienced a catastrophic financial crisis. But you know what? Nothing has changed in me. I have gone on. And I think it's very easy to slip into a headspace of believing at some level that our self-worth is somehow enhanced with stuff. You know, it could be cars or a building or investments, fancy phones, that somehow we are enhanced by collecting things. And of course, the reality is we're not. They're just objects. They're just objects. Whether they're there or not there, we are independent of our belongings. We are not our belongings. Anyway, I was on that one year out and I thought, what I next? Like, I like the Dave Matthews band quote where he says, you know, in the end, it all piles up to one big pile of nothing at all. Like he's right. And he's echoing almost the words of the Roman Stoic philosopher, Marcus Aurelius. And he was a man, he said, you know what? At the end of the day, I end up in the same dirt as the mule driver. When all said and done, we are all in the same position. And it can be helpful to get a bit of perspective on life like that. You know, we, we can very easily get confused about what matters in life. We can be seduced by the messaging of our cultures. It feeds us junk values, Richard, such junk values about what we should aspire to. You know, the advertising, this is what you want is extreme popularity, good looks. And we've got this thing. Without this thing that we're selling, your yeah. life's nothing. You, you are nothing. I appreciate you giving me a plug, Eric, because my book, The Zero Method, is coming out. They used to call me on Skid Row. They used to call me. They couldn't read my last name, so they called me Dr. Zero. And part of it, I talk about the checklist and myths, right? Like that I had a myth that I had to have a red sports car and a PhD. Ooh. Otherwise, no relationship. And it's a complete myth. And what happens to us when we are living in pursuit of checklist goals? It's such an important message. The important thing is that we recognize it now, not later in life. So there's like a, your moment, the, the crisis led you after that loss to some strength within yourself or some belief. Well, I discovered my thinking about what we are. And it reminded me as, as well also that actually what we are is, is something that's internal. You know, it's a set of internal attributes. That's what we are. And these are things that we can develop. You know, we can develop our resilience, our, our gratitude, our appreciation of life, ability to use our attention wisely.
These are things that are, are up to us. Yeah, I wouldn't wish hardship on anyone, but does force you to reevaluate your priorities and encourages you, well, it compels you to discover more about yourself and what you're capable of. So we learn our strengths, but only when we have to use them. If you don't have to use your strengths, you don't discover that you have them. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a session earlier today with an engineer who's gone to a new company and there's 15 engineers and they're not utilizing. They're not training. They're just... I don't know, shelving or waiting or, you know, and it's interesting how that can create such angst because we need the challenge. So how do you teach this in management? How have you begun to encourage this in organizations to make sure their teams are utilized? In the organizations in Australia that I work with, there's, there's no one is sitting back waiting to be used. They're actually already fully challenged. If they don't need someone, they'll let them go. So people are fully occupied. So they're in a state of challenge already. And so what I do is help teach them skills to navigate the challenge and the challenges that they are experiencing, not just in their professional lives, but in their personal lives too. It's a common set of skills. Managing yourself, self-leadership, it's similar sets of skills. You're at home, challenging relationship perhaps, or being with your family during lockdown, or the challenges in the workplace, similar sets of skills. We can all develop them and we have to develop them because the quality of our lives I believe depends to a very significant degree on how well we meet our challenges, the ones that life throws at us and the ones that we choose for ourselves. And put it to you, Richard, and your listeners, if you look back, the most rewarding times of your life so far, the times when you can look back and be most proud of what you did, I'm going to guess there was some element of challenge to that. You weren't lying on a beach sipping a cocktail. There was something was being asked of you, something demanding was being asked of you and you stepped up. So a rewarding life is a life of challenge. We all need to be able to meet challenges. We need to set our challenges and be personally ambitious with our own challenges. And personal ambition is gonna be different for all of us. For some of us, it's gonna be just mastering our garden and getting a, the best crop of carrots or zucchini or pumpkin I can possibly get out of this land. That could be it. And for someone else, it's starting their own business. For other people, it's reaching out and influencing large groups and spreading hope and goodwill. All of us have different qualities and our personal challenges are personal. That's the thing. They're all personal. So life asks us to author our own challenges, to architect lives in which we strive to reach for our challenges. We're not going to succeed at all of our hopes and ambitions and goals. We won't. But it's a rewarding life when we reach for it. And right from an early age, one of the first things babies do is they reach for things. They reach out. And I don't think that ever stops in life. And there's a joy as a child is reaching and making progress and reaching. There is a joy in the reach. Now, maybe it will grasp what it's reaching for. And there's an extra joy. But living well is about reaching, continually reaching for something that you want. Absolutely. I think it's, it's I'm laughing because my daughter made fun of me. She said, how come in every Instagram post you're, you're pointing out into the distance? I said, what oh. am I pointing out? She goes, I don't know. You just feels natural to be extending, right? Even, it right, does. Even in yoga, right? They have you doing the warrior pose. They have you doing, right? Extending yourself off beyond the horizon, seeing beyond where you are right now. Yeah. And there's actually a, a potency in the point. There's something indicating, you know, it reorients your mind towards a destination somewhere you want to get to. 
And it's something I, I will in, encourage my participants sometimes to decide what it is in their mind, what it is they want, to imagine that it is somewhere in this space, and then to point to it. And it just orients the body and the mind towards their target. So your book you have, I mean, I love this title. It's so catchy. Swipe right on your best self. I'm a flash of brilliance when I came up with that. <laughs> I wrote it down quickly, Richard. I, I reached for a pen quickly. Oh, I mustn't lose that. I mustn't lose that. You know, 30%, 30% of all relationships today are formed on Tinder or one of its similar dating apps. Yeah, 30%. So this metaphor of you know swiping right on what you want, it was, of course, pioneered, I think, by Tinder, but it's everywhere now. I mean, even Amazon. I ordered something on Amazon the other day on my phone. I had to swipe right on the order. I had to swipe right, and that was it. The order was placed. I was choosing what I wanted. So people put a lot of time into thinking about what kind of partner they want to be, had to have with them, who they want to spend time with. A lot of time, but we spend less time thinking about someone who will spend even more time with ourselves. That's right. But the kind of people that we are is actually a choice. You and I are not fixed, stuck entities. We are, we are processes. We are verbs, if you like. And we get to choose how we're going to show up each day. For, in fact, from minute to minute, you get to choose if you're going to be caring, considerate, thoughtful, diligent, focused, or distracted, ambivalent, <laughs> with your mind wandering. We have choices continually. Life is just a, a series of choices. And it's up to us to decide, actually, in this moment, yeah, what matters to me about this place right now? What qualities do I want to choose to swipe right on in this situation that I'm in right now? And we all have enormous flexibility. And I think a lot of people underestimate just how much choice they have about how they engage with yeah, life. It's become so automatic. Believe you buy into belief system of empowerment or, you know, that's where some of the, the trauma work I do comes in. How something even potentially innocuous gets interpreted as I'm powerless, I'm helpless. And so we lose that choice, lose that ability to, or we forget that we have the ability to exercise. Yes, you've hit the nail on the head. We forget or we, we buy into a, a belief that we can't do something. It's almost like we are sometimes like uh, speedboats. Remember Miami Vice? So the speedboats. I love <laughs> Miami Vice. <laughs> you look like the kind of guy that might like Miami Vice. So I'm not surprised. When a speedboat goes across the water, where it goes next is not controlled by the wake behind it. It's not. It's independent. Where you go next is not controlled by the history of where you have been. Each of us has much greater choice. We all imagine that we are some kind of person. And it's kind of helpful sometimes to imagine to have some sort of notion of who you are. But if we get too rigid in our self-concept, then we'll, we don't recognize that we can change if you choose to. We can do things differently in any minute, actually. You could do anything completely differently if you chose to but we can get bogged down in old identities. We can buy into identities and we, we can fuse with them and they kind of get stuck. But it's a skill to de-identify, to uncouple from unhelpful beliefs and thoughts about yourself. But we can all do it. We can uncouple from those and we can recouple to more helpful beliefs. So how do you do that? Do you do this with the individual? Do you do this with the work identity? Generally, because these are workplaces that are paying for these programs, it's about leadership identity. 
So we first up spend time talking about, well, actually, if you could be the, the leader you'd really like to be, what would that look like? And we help people to craft a leadership identity that works well for them, not being someone else, but for them, what kind of leader would they look like? And that's not something you do in five minutes. You can't just do it in five minutes. We have a lot of exercises to explore that. Think about role models. You know, who do you admire? What are the qualities? You might not like all their qualities, but what are the qualities of those people you admire? Real people, fictitious people. I've had people in workshops, you know who I admire? This is some of my female participants. You know who I admire, Eric, a leader? Who? say Jon Snow. Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Have you seen it? You know what? I have not yet committed because I know. Wow. You'll be in trouble because is it eight seasons or nine? You are actually in a better position than I was because when I started watching, you're waiting for the next episode. You don't need to wait for the next episode. I might commit to you, Eric. I might go to two seasons. You want to get those snacks in for a monumental binge session. It's fabulous. Anyway, Jon Snow is a, he's a guy, a good looking guy in the show, but he does exhibit many admirable leadership qualities. Fictitious though he is, but you know, it doesn't matter. There are many, many examples. We draw a lot from movies. I was walking around in my men's mountain retreat and a man I barely knew came over. He said, what's your favorite movie? I said, you know, we were barely standing up and exhausted. I said, Gladiator. And we both started to I am Marcus Aurelius, commander of the legions of the North. He was reciting the line because this character embodies, I still watch it like wanting to follow him into battle yeah because of his heart because of his character because of his trust because of his belief not his australian accent (laughs) (laughs) no great movie i am gladiator (laughs) yeah excellent so yeah we help people to identify yeah what kind of leaders what would you be doing but that's the first thing we define how people would like to show up the other thing is developing the self-awareness to recognize when your behaviors are incongruent when you're not manifesting that and to as i say to decouple to get a bit of distance from the unhelpful self-talk from the unhelpful thoughts and feelings that crop up in all of us whatever it is i'm not good enough i'm going to get caught out it's the self-critical thoughts yeah, perfectionistic thoughts whatever it is everyone's got them thoughts and ideas and feelings too But when we can get skillful at recognizing those things as they happen in real time, noticing them, we can get just a little bit of distance from them, just a little bit of distance. We're not trying to stop ourselves from having these thoughts. That's almost impossible. But we can reduce the influence so that they're less believable. They're less credible. It's more like having a radio on in the background, radio misery or radio self-flagellation. You can still get on with your life even while that radio is playing. And you can see it for what it is. Yeah, it might stop. Yeah, often it doesn't, but we don't have to stop it. We can take action, courageous action. I want to ask you about it. That's exactly, you're hitting it on the head because you said authentically courageous leaders. How do we cultivate? Well, first you have to, I mean, authentic means to author. If you were to author your life, what would it look like? So we start off by actually defining the objective. What would it look like? What matters to you? Not to your community, your family, your culture, but to you. So we could look back through our own histories, identify those times we've actually felt most congruent with who we are. We can look at other people who we admire. So we build a picture of qualities that we would like to express. So now we've got the destination. Then we need to develop the skills to come 
to, to the present moment. You mentioned earlier on how we got, I'm not sure if you use the word autopilot or just habitually doing the same old thing. What was your expression? Automatic. We automatic. It, my, my men's work, we call it automatic man, right? When you're just your default response. Again, people aren't flawed or broken by acting in automatic ways. This is how we're designed. We're designed to act predominantly on autopilot. Sure. But we can get better at developing the skill of disengaging autopilot. If you are a real pilot or even a driver with cruise control, you need to be able to disable that cruise control sometimes. It's a wonderful thing to have. Makes life a lot easier. But circumstances arise on the road or in the air when you want to disengage the autopilot and the cruise control. And in humans, we are the same. But it's a skill coming to this present moment, getting out of our heads, back into our bodies and into the present, not imagining and rehearsing futures or reliving pasts, but coming to the real world. That's a skill. And then recognizing what's happening, perhaps the actions we're taking, the things we're saying, the effect they are having on others, perhaps recognizing our internal world, the stories we're telling ourselves again. And then this disengaging, it's sometimes called decentering or diffusing. There is a skill of noticing and naming that helps us to get a little bit of psychological distance from our inner world. And when we do that, we reduce the influence and we're in a better position to choose what we're going to do next. It's a conscious choice. There's the steps we need to take to identify the belief systems we have, kind of name them and then yep. detach consciously from them. You're not going to be yes. able to step into your courageous self if you're still no. attached to, I'm not good enough, no. right? I'll just sit back. I'll just let somebody else lead, right? Whatever that story of worthiness or unworthiness. Yep, exactly. That's right. But it begins though with choosing a preferred direction because if you start off by saying, no, I worry about the kind of person I want to be later. And then you just start off by developing skills of becoming present and decoupling from unhelpful thoughts and feelings. Well, the question then is, now what? You want to answer the question, now what, first, before you do anything. Then you've got a destination to go towards. An example of somebody, you know, now I want to be a more brave leader. Well, let me ask you, Richard, but in your professional life, what kind of person, if you could be the professional that you would most like to be, what might be some of the qualities which you would express even more often than you already do. Well, I probably, you know, revealed a little bit of my hand by saying this retreat, right? I'd like to be more of a leader, I'd like to be more of a confident in my modalities, in eliciting strategies. I'd like to be clearer on what I can accomplish, clearer, <laughs> confident. And I know it when I experience more tapped into my power yeah, as a and healer. Great. And when you're more tapped into your power as a healer, and confident. What happens next? The words are strong. The presence is more engaged. The energy is more alive. The connection is stronger. Right. The words are strong. The connection is stronger. There's a vitality there. And when you have those, what does that enable more of? Can help more people reach more of my value, mm -hmm. tap into more of my potential, mm. can elicit more of the potential of the people I serve because I'm operating from a stronger, more authentic base. Great. And when you operate from a stronger and more authentic base, where do you notice that most in your body? Right here, heart. Right there. That's where it is. That's your authentic self when you're operating from that place. So we start off with getting a felt sense 
of the kind of leader. But yeah, we start off by spending time, yeah, getting that felt sense of, you know, experiencing it in advance. And as you've already said, you've already at times, you've dipped into that place, you've tasted it. And we just want to go back and re-experience it again, allow it to be present a little bit more. And now you've reminded yourself of what you're like when you're at your best, Richard. So that's where we start with getting a clearer sense of what we're like when we're at our best. Now, if I asked you the same question about your relationships at home, there, there may be different qualities or may, there could be some overlap, but maybe there'd be some different caring qualities, developing, sharing. I don't know. So we also work with people to help them to craft what kind of parents would they like to be? What kind of lovers would they like to be? Partners would they like to be? If we don't choose for ourselves somebody else will choose for us or an area of your life gets ignored right if i don't choose to focus on my parenting then i'm just going to automatically be in that relationship the way i've always been or the way i've seen in the past yes we want to take ownership this is all about taking responsibility and ownership for our own lives who eric is one of your mentors who has inspired you and what inspires you to keep going you know through all this right without the corporate structure around you how do you keep motivated i'm actually very motivated by by what I learn from ancient Stoic philosophy. So you read those writings and so many of them now are expressed by modern day self-development people. But actually, this is old wisdom. It's ancient wisdom. Focus on what's within your control. As Stephen Covey had his seven habits of highly effective people, you begin with the end in mind. You know, where are you going? Focus on what's within your control. This is stoicism. There's an awful lot of what I love within stoicism. But I marry that up with some modern behavioral science. It's a field called contextual behavioral science. And it just slots in really nicely with uh, that ancient Stoic wisdom. And it's that field that tells us that the modern science says, do not try to get rid of unhelpful thinking. Don't tell yourself to not think something. It doesn't work. There's a lot of pseudoscience out there saying it's so important you stop thinking negative thoughts. You mustn't do that. The reality is that's going to keep bubbling up. We can't get rid of negative thoughts, but we can get a bit of distance. It's a little bit like having a stone in your shoe. Now, if you've got a little stone in your foot, if you've got a pain in your life, what a lot of people will try and do is, well, they'll try and anesthetize it. It's a bit like saying, oh, I've got a stone in my foot. And I say, oh, Richard, have you got any painkiller with you? Yeah, I've got this stone in my foot. It's really painful. Have you got any, have you got any painkiller? Oh, you got any Advil? People will do is they'll take a drink in life. They've got their worries. They'll self-soothe with alcohol, self-soothe with food. We all do this. And it's crazy. We've still got this stone in our shoe and we try to, or we'll soldier on. No, I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to push through with willpower. Now, these are emotionally unintelligent ways of dealing with emotional distress. What you can do is take the stone out, but you do not need to destroy the stone. If you've got a little tiny pebble in your shoe, you don't have to destroy it. You can just separate it, get a little bit of distance. Now take it out, get a little bit of distance between you and the, the unhelpful thought or feeling. And that little bit of distance reduces the influence of it. Now in the world of stones, you can flick them away forever. That's not the case with thoughts and feelings. There is no guarantee that you can get rid of an uncomfortable thought or feeling, but you don't need to. It's enough to dial it down so that it doesn't stop you from being the parent you want to be, from being the partner you want to be, and from being the strong leader you want 
want to be. Amazing. Well, Eric, we need to know, our listeners want to know that they know you've got a booked itinerary. How can they reach you? How can they find you? I know we didn't get to how you're staying motivated through all this. Maybe give us a little bit of both before we sign you out. I have a, a lot of rituals in my life. I begin every day with orienting towards gratitude. Get out a sheet of paper every morning. All right, what's good? And I just connect to three things. Just spend a little bit of time appreciating just a couple, two or three things that are good in life. Then I ask myself, what went well yesterday? And again, fresh sheet of paper. I just do a little bit of a mind map. Oh yeah, you know, I connected with so-and-so. I remind myself of my successes and I just relive them a little bit. And it just helps shift my identity a little bit into someone who gets things done, who's successful just by pausing. We don't want to tumble through life, not savoring our successes. We can't spend all day reliving them. It pays to touch them in our mind a little bit to allow ourselves to remind ourselves that we are effective. We can be effective. And then I will ask myself, what would make today an extraordinary day. Now, not just a, a good day, but an extraordinary day. What would have to happen today when I get to the end of it and I look back and, and say, wow, and I could honestly say, wow, that was a day that I changed nothing about. And so I kind of architect a day like that. Now, do I make it always happen? No, probably never. But I get closer <laughs> to having a great day than I would have done if I hadn't imagined this is it. It's actually brilliant what you're saying right now. I want to make sure everyone knows how to buy your book. If you haven't seen the movie or when they do let you out of your 10 kilometer territory. <laughs> five, or, five kilometer. Five, five kilometer. kilometer lockdown. Yeah. The new movie Free Guy oh. about a character. And he says every day to people, like, make it a great day. But he starts to realize, he starts to get clues, like he orders the same coffee. And like he starts, even the things he says about his coffee like what if he wants to order a cappuccino and you could see like even a little bit of choice it like throws the whole system awry the system doesn't know what to do if he doesn't stay in his role i want to see this film thanks very much for the, the recommendation tell us people how can, can we get your book how can people yeah. reach you you're dynamic you're wonderful you're humorous there's two places to go one i've invested unreasonable amounts of money in a website so i wish people would visit the website. If you live in Australia, you can also order a signed copy of my book from the website. Around the rest of the world, you can buy it online at all the regular booksellers. There's an e-copy as well, you know, a Kindle copy. But the website describes all my talks and my workshops. And you can also download for free the first chapter of my book. You'll know within one page whether you're going to enjoy that book within one page. And I've been thrilled this week that actually there's a company here called HelloFresh. The, the company is, is this kind of a care thing saying thank you to their staff. Everyone has received a copy of my book. So if you've got audience members here who don't work for HelloFresh, you'll have to get your own copy. You can order it from Amazon or whoever you want. I'm also on LinkedIn. Please connect on LinkedIn. Say hello. What interesting, Tim, what kind of a leader you'd like to be? Are you for training nationally, internationally? Technology going to stay for you? Uh, what, do you what people are telling me here is that they want to keep using the technology. Now, I'm hungry for some more face-to-face -face time. When there isn't a pandemic on, I deliver workshops in New Zealand and uh, China, actually, and across Australia and Singapore. So uh, Papua New Guinea as well. So I'm looking forward to traveling again, but now also delivering workshops to Europe. It works. Got a well-being program that's running ahead regardless of what happens pandemic-wise over the next couple of months across Australia to people working in the health industry. These people are really under the gun. And so I'm going to give them some skills to meet their own challenges more effectively. Wow. Well, it is a true honor. You've kept me on my toes and laughing and challenged my brain. I'm grateful for your vibraciousness and your follow-up 
and make sure that we could get this to happen despite the challenges we're in right now. Pleasure, Richard. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. The honor is mine. Well, that was a true blast. It's not often that I laugh, but discussing authentically courageous leadership, Eric Winters, keynote speakers, workshops, individual coaching, and author of Swipe Right on Your Best Self, Simple Steps to a Bolder Life. Please check him out. Go to his website, ericwinters.com, W-I-N-T-E-R-S.com.au for Australia, or check him out on Facebook or Instagram under the same details. Thank you all for listening and tuning in, supporting me. Please, if you can, check out my Patreon page.com, patreon.com slash Richard Listens, or Instagram, Richard Listens. Hey, you get the theme. We appreciate all your support and interest. We're now up on iTunes, Spotify. If you're interested in therapy, teletherapy, any kind of consultation, please don't hesitate to reach out to me through my website, richardlistens.com. I'm happy to help and support in any way through any kind of strain, support, or isolation you are going through. We are here to alleviate strain and suffering. Take care, everybody. I'm Richard Listen, and I'm out.